this is going to be such a long episode and I apologize in advance. Hello and welcome to Chaotic Creations, a podcast where we take weird prompts and make weird Vampire the Masquerade characters. I'm Harper, your lawful nerdy paladin. And I'm Darby, your chaotic tired bard. And welcome to our 17th episode. And Darby, it is 2021! We did it! It's over. We're done. It's finished. What was last year? 2019? Yeah, no, what What 2020? That's all hindsight. It didn't actually happen. New year, who this? <laughs> And Darby, it's a new year, which means that this is the very first episode of ours that is airing on the Critical Misses channel. Yes, we're now Critical Misses. So to those of you who are listening on the Twitch channel, hi there, how you doing? If you're not listening on the Twitch channel, you could be. This airs at 9am Pacific Standard Time, noon Eastern, every single Wednesday on twitch.tv slash Critical Misses. Want to chat with other people while you listen to the episode live? Hit us up on Wednesdays on the Critical Misses channel. And because it's a new year, we're also switching up a little bit how we run things on the podcast because we love recording with guests so much and we've had honestly more people than we know what to do with ask if they can come on the podcast. We are going to be adding an extra guest episode every month. So we're going to be doing three to four, depending on the month, guest episodes each month. There will always be an episode that has just me and Darby, the classic. If one episode a month with just Harper and I is not enough for you, consider subscribing to our Patreon. For $10 or more at our Explorer tier or higher, you can get an extra bonus episode of just the classic, me and Harper, the dynamic duo. Plus, not to mention, you get a lot of other cool benefits. For instance, you can get access to a monthly live-streamed Q&A with Darby and I, and at our highest tier, you can even be a player character in a one-shot run by either Darby or me. You also get postcards, which we are going to not only handwrite, but hand draw for you. So I mean, really get them while they're hot. There's a limited number of these. Yep. And finally, in more time sensitive news, I will be a guest tonight, January 6th on Under the Pale Cold Sun, a show here on the Critical Misses channel. Wow, Under the Pale Cold Sun? What an interesting show. Pray tell, what is Under the Pale Cold Sun about? And who's in it that we might know? Under the Pale Cold Sun is a Vampire the Masquerade game. Darby is one of the standing cast members on that game. And our guest today, the lovely D, is the Master of Ceremonies. So we decided that we would have D come on the show and give us a little bit of a walkthrough of how to make a Vampire the Masquerade character in 5th edition before that episode airs tonight. Yeah, this is definitely not going to bite us in the back. <laughs> bite us? Because it's vampires? Yeah, I didn't think my puns sucked that badly. I think that that is enough bad puns. Let's get D on the pod and start making this vampire. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Today on the podcast, we have one of our dear friends joining us. We have D. D, how are you doing today? Oh, hi. Uh, I'm doing well. Tired as always, but outside of that, you know. Honestly, who who among us is not always tired? Raise I'm your hand. Monster. No, I don't have hands. <laughs> You'd think with a quarantine and the fact that I can sleep whenever I would choose to sleep. I don't, actually. <laughs> no. That's relatable. That is not relatable, but I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I, I choose sleep. Smart. Smart. Yeah, it's smart. That's why I harbor the brain cell of this podcast. 
<laughs> D, we obviously know you from many things, but why don't you tell our audience just some of the things that you do? Because you do so many wonderful things. Oh, goodness. Well, um, I am a voice actor, musician. I'm a professional GM with the Emerald City Gaming Guild. Uh, and I play Julian in Woodsy Studios' Crimson Spires, which is available on Steam. Uh, if you want to hear me be a creature of the night, which is very similar to uh, what we have planned for today, I believe. That is correct, yes. D, you also are a, I don't know what to call it, the master of ceremonies mm. for a game of Vampire the Masquerade on Critical Misses, which is our partner Twitch channel. Yes, yes. I'm also the DM for Under the Pale Cold Sun, which is our Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition campaign that we run over on the Critical Misses channel. Yes, and Darby is a standing player on that campaign, and by the time this episode comes out, you will have met my guest character on that campaign. Yeah. Why don't you say some things about your guest character, like what clan they were, you know, all the <laughs> stuff that you know would already be public information. Nice try, Darby. <laughs> nice try. I have kept this secret for a month and a half. I will keep it for a while longer. I am dying, podcast listeners. I am I am perished and I've been reborn as a Minerva Noctua. <laughs> One of the stipulations that Harper had for coming onto the show after she told me everything she I needed to know about her character was uh, to not tell Darby anything. So for the most <laughs> that Darby knows at this point in time of recording is uh, the little teaser at the end of our first season finale. But so today, that is correct, we are going to be making a vampire. We're going to be making a kindred from Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition. But first, D, we want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better because Darby and I think that you are a fantastic person. Oh, shucks. So, D, what first got you into tabletop role-playing games? Oh, man. Um, well, I, I am on the younger side of most of the guests that I believe you've had so far. And like like a lot of people in this the in the newest wave of TTRPG, uh, I got I got pulled in by Critical Role. Um, that was the first piece of TTRPG media that I found. And I was considering being a voice actor before I started watching it. And it was just the marriage of like two of my interests. I was like, this is amazing. Um, but people had told me beforehand that I should get into D&D &D many times over. I wrote a, here's an embarrassing story that I don't think either one of you two know. But I wrote a fan fiction for a podcast that I actually was an avid listener of where they were set in a fantasy world um, and they were all different archetypes of characters and they went on this adventure. And while I was writing it, one of the podcasters who was, um, because most of them read it and uh, one of the podcasters who listened, he was like, do you play D and D? Like you sound like you'd be a good DM based off of the story. And I was like, people keep telling me that. And shortly thereafter, I found critical role. That is lovely. I don't know what's embarrassing about writing fanfic. I was an avid fanfic writer in my youth. I found Harper's fanfiction.net account. You did what? You've never told me that. You found my fanfiction account? Uh-huh. It was a long time ago. I oh, God, don't. Don't share it. It's not good quality <laughs> stories. I haven't published a story there since I was 14. Nice. I will have you know that I did find it, though. <laughs> Darby's been given power. Great. Now Darby has that to hold over my head. <laughs> I'm a little gremlin whore for information. <laughs> oh, God. Perfect. So, D, obviously, since 
starting to play Dungeons and Dragons, you've branched out into other tabletop games. What is your favorite thing about tabletop role playing in general? Oh goodness. Um, well, TTRPGs are just magic, right? It's it's this beautiful intersection of storytelling and allowing people to step out of the boundaries of what makes them them. Uh, and you can kind of become something even bigger than yourself, which I feel like you get to, that's an experience that you get to have in uh, things like Skyrim or, you know, video games. But there's something about TTRPGs making it you, you know, uh, like making it yourself. I know plenty of people who their first TTRPG character was just them like there's just their name because they couldn't think of anything else and i think one of the one of the best parts of ttrpgs are those moments where someone new comes into the game and they like their brain is opened to the mechanics sandbox of like wow i can literally just say that i do anything like i can backflip off a cliff or jump into a river and i just do that there's no invisible wall like in a video game you know no, absolutely. I mean, we've touched on it before about how video game programmers are very good, but they cannot account for every single decision that a player might make. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Whereas tabletop is just, it's the limit of your imagination and whoever's running the game. Yeah. And that's it. Yes. I love Skyrim deeply, but I was so frustrated. I hate every main story quest line because I feel like there's two branches and I hate both of them. <laughs> Why would I want to side with either the Stormcloaks or the Imperials? They both suck. I want to be king. I want to rule Skyrim because I am objectively <laughs> the best leader. I have the most magic. I have the most arrows. I will kill everything in my path. Let me be king. And I cannot be king. It is bullshit. And as they, uh, as as I started getting into my my forays of being a DM, uh, that was the kind of freedom that I loved letting my players have. Of like, because I also had those feelings. I never played. Uh, I never played much of Skyrim because my ADHD. If you put me in a sandbox, I just wander and then close the game. But uh, one of my favorite things as a DM is having having like writing out two player paths like that you could do this or you could do this and they just go ah, f it we like the third option that kind of thing is like so great to me i always try to encourage that uh mm -hmm. in all of my players when i dm for a game the whole point of i mean i started with dungeons and dragons but the whole point of ttrpgs in general is freedom you can do anything it is like no matter what the module is if you're playing off a module or no, no matter what the rules of the world are you can try anything are you going to succeed all the time no you might die but you know that's a game it's fine i've had plans that end in failure for players that still end in great moments you know, mm -hmm. like I've I've had I've had things that go spectacularly wrong. And sometimes those are the best stories to tell is like the time they were trying to do a clandestine heist and they plan for 45 minutes and then 10 minutes in the whole plan has to go out the fucking window because none of them remembered that none of them have dark vision. <laughs> uh, and I was just sitting there as a DM, just sitting there going, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, this is a great plan. <laughs> Assuming one of them had a torch. <laughs> no. No, nobody had a torch. No one had access to um, the uh, produce flame spell. No light and none of them could see. And it's just like, well, <laughs> this is going to get different than we hoped. 
That is the exact kind of blunder that I expect from an adventuring party, though, of just like, yeah, we're going to make a very detailed plan and forget the most basic of things. That is the exact, that is what I come to TTRPG for. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But another thing that I I don't think that most people in TTRPG space, which I'm relatively new to considering, another thing that people don't really realize about me that I don't talk about much because certain people were involved in it. But uh, outside of Critical Role, another show that got me into TTRPGs was called Mirror Shades. And most people haven't heard of Mirror Shades, and I won't recommend it because the GM turned out to be a giant flaming sack of dog shit. But I, I love Press Heart to Continue, aka Dodger, at Dex Bonus. I adore her. And she was in it. And it's a Shadowrun game. So I actually was introduced to D&D and Shadowrun at almost the same time. And when I got the starter set for D&D, two, maybe three weeks after, I got the starter set for Mirror Shades. So I've never been wholly in just the D&D box because it's never been my only experience with TTRPGs. And speaking of like you having played in so many systems, because I mean, you've branched out since those first two. Yeah, absolutely. Very impressively, I would say. Thank you. Of course, you're a very impressive person. All right, relax. But who would you say, across all of the systems you've played, across all of the campaigns and one-shots you've been in, who is your favorite character that you've ever made and why? Oh, man. This is... I, I feel like all my DMs are going to... That come on the show feel this one. This is such a hard <laughs> question to answer. But between PCs and NPCs, I, I'm going to cheat, unlike most people. Uh, and I'm going to condense this so it doesn't go forever. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give one of both uh, because I, I can't pick like that. But one, one of my favorite player characters actually ended up becoming an NPC. Uh, and his name was Draskill Haxir. And Draskill is, to this day, the only evil-aligned character that I've gotten to play in a fairly long-form D&D campaign. Interesting. Yeah, he was a tiefling eldritch knight um, that leaned very heavily into the people called him the hell knight. Like he leaned very heavily into the tieflings are demonic um, thing. And he is just such a prick. He's so terrible of a person, Draskill is. And I eventually made him an NPC in one of my longest running home games. And just the response that everyone would get when I would start the description of like the red skin, the flared horns, and the, and they were just like, ah, like, God damn it, Draskill's here again. Like, son of a bitch, I hate this guy. <laughs> Any NPC who the players are eager to like put down, like either arrest or kill off, I feel like I've done my job if they're supposed to be adversarial, like if they have a genuine dislike for the character. But to get a little bit more on theme, uh, my favorite character who um, was primarily uh, a player character more so because Draskill was a player character for like three or four sessions and then became prominently an NPC and a character who's making the transition uh, is actually a little more in theme for today because originally Nymeria Page the sire for Darby's character was a player character of mine in a Vampire the Masquerade 20th edition game. And I sort of translated her to 5e and updated her and made her an NPC in my world because I love Nymeria because she's just such, she's such an antsy little dork. It's, uh, it's pretty great. <laughs> I love Nymeria too. She, I was literally just thinking, I'm like, 
oh, I love Nymeria. <laughs> like, I can't wait to, like, talk to my sire again. Yeah. Some of my favorite moments in Pale Cold Sun have been watching Darby's character Minerva interact with Nymeria because they have such fun energy and feed off each other in such an interesting way. It's like, mm-hmm. I can I can tell why Nymeria sired Minerva. Yeah, yeah. Um, my favorite parts of my Nymeria and Minerva's interactions that I hope Darby hasn't forgotten about is the way that Minerva was sired, though. I remember. Uh, oh, I know that this it's something that seems very counter to her character, and it's something that I'm very excited to get further into in the story because the Nymeria that you see through most of the conversations is not the woman that sired uh minerva in in a, in a lot of ways mostly actions but you have to tune in to pale cold sun to find out why speaking of vampires and the shows that i mean you two make wonderful along with the rest of the cast and that i am so thrilled that i get to guest on but we are going to be making a vampire the masquerade fifth edition character today d is going to be walking us through how to do that yeah because I've never messed up making a character in Vampires to Masquerade. Goodness. <laughs> so Dee, why don't you start us off with a brief description of what Vampire the Masquerade is? Yeah, so we keep we keep talking about this game. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade is, it's a TTRPG, obviously. It was made by Mark Hagen back in 1991. So it's not actually anywhere close to as old as D&D is. But it is it was published by and still is made by White Wolf Publishing. Um, and it's the first of several storyteller system games uh, that are used for the World of Darkness setting. Uh, it's set in a fictionalized gothic punk sort of dark noir like version of the modern world. And if you're using Vampire the Masquerade, then you are playing and assuming the roles of uh, vampires or kindred as they call each other, because vampire is the word of humans. Lovely. Fun fact, there was actually a television show, a live action one in 1996 that was called Kindred the Embraced. And yes, it is as bad as it sounds. (laughs) We should watch that. Oh my gosh. Is it as bad as the Dungeons and Dragons movie? Yes. It's the exact, it's that same level of camp, but make it like, like, edgy and gothic. Dark and edgy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. You know what, Darby? Maybe we'll make it a Patreon perk that we do monthly watches of like terrible, terrible TTRPG movies. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yes, please. I would <laughs> love that because I love watching shitty, terrible shows and just shitting on them. Excellent. The only reason that I am aware of the existence of that show is because the lead character's name is Julian. He's a vampire named Julian. Isn't that funny? Well, then I say let's go ahead and get into character creation. D. Yes. What is the first thing that we need to do when making a Vampire the Masquerade character? So, unlike D&D and unlike most uh, D20-based systems, character creation in Vampire the Masquerade actually involves no rolling. Uh, This is a character that you make out of choice and very deliberate action. Um, So the first thing you're going to need is a character sheet, because rather than rolling, uh, you're going to uh, just be assigning dots in different places. 
Uh, and the first thing, and probably the most important thing about creating a kindred in the world of Vampire the Masquerade and the world of darkness at large, is you need to select your clan. There are 13, I believe, in the core book, I want to say. I could be wrong. I think there are 13 overall, included the core book and the expansions. Yes, yeah, it's 13, it's 13, including the core book and the expansions, which White Wolf actually just recently released a PDF that brought back uh, some fan favorite clans from previous systems and updated them to 5e. Uh, so there are extra, extra options for you to look through if you go over there to uh, check. So what kind of vampires do we want to make, kids? All right, so we are going to be making one character. And Darby, I think that we should make a vampire from a clan that neither of us has created from before. Uh, and Darby does know the clan of my guest character. So this is not a spoiler. Under like so much duress. She has <laughs> figured that out. I no, I remembered. I big brained it. I galaxy brained it because Harper told me and then I forgot. And you were all making fun of me for forgetting everything. And then I big brained it. And I'm like, no, I remember. I remember the description is this clan. <laughs> and then it wasn't confirmed to me until much later. It's true. So the clans that Darby and I have experience creating with are the Tremere and the Although the that I made is interesting. So you could argue. It's a little different. It's a little different. We we made it before the, the, the homebrew was released because it was released too close to Harper's guest spot. So I, I took some V20 mechanics and uh, flavor. It's fine. It's my show. Fight me. I love the character. I'm fine with it. Yeah. And that's all that matters. I'm sure I will love and or hate this character. And that's fine. You'll probably like it just fine. I don't know if your character will. Uh-huh, my character's a dweeb. She probably won't. <laughs> Uh, one thing that we should mention before we get too deep into the character creation is that Vampire the Masquerade is dark at times, mm -hmm. and this character creation may get just a little bit explicit due to the nature of the game, so if that might bother you, dear listeners, no problem. Thank you so much for listening this far. Please feel free to tune in again next week. No offense taken. You want me to do my content warning voice where I go, the following content contains mature da-da-da-da. Viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dee. Darby, do, are any of these clans particularly standing out to you as one that might be fun? Bruja was very, Bruja and Gangrel were very interesting to me. To be fair, when the two of us took a quiz about which clan we would be in in real life as who we are, we both got Bruja. It was really, you know, why would we make a Bruja then? I think we should make a Bruja. Yeah, let's do it. What makes the Bruja special? Like, what's their thing? So the Bruja are known by several different names, actually. Uh, most recently, we had someone on the show, the lovely Kelsey, crotchety woman, who um, played a Bruja. She played a Bruja by the name of Luna. And they have a lot of different flavor texts to them. One of the reasons that I love Vampire the Masquerade so much is that you can... Everything is not as it seems. The Bruja in a lot of mainstream media are, you know, they're like the punk ripped jackets, like, you know, torn jeans kind of uh, folks. But Luna, for example, is the warrior poet type of person. They are the vampires that have probably the most, the heaviest sense of what's right. Um, and they vehemently disagree with any form of oppression. And they, they're just generally 
they like rebelling against the system if the system no longer serves the people so i wonder why darby and i both got this clan (laughs) i can't think i can't think at all not a single reason so what does being a bruja mean in terms of our character like what does that mean for us as we're making this character each of the different clans in vampire the masquerade have different blood-based powers that vampire the masquerade refers to as disciplines as a bruja you get three disciplines as a part of your clan these different powers are available to other kindred but they are more easily learned and used to a greater extent by the clan Bruja. Uh, And those disciplines for Bruja are celerity, which allows the kindred to strike and move much faster. Uh, There's potence, which allows the Bruja to strike and move much stronger. And there is presence, which allows the Bruja to enrapture a crowd. It's essentially that the alluring presence of the rally leader at the head of the crowd with a microphone. Uh, You know, that's kind of like, how are all these people paying attention to this one person? It's because the Brujas have access to presence. It already has my cogs turning for what kind of... Because in in Vampires Masquerade, every vampire needs to feed. And there's different feeding cells. Like Minerva, my vampire, uh, she is a uh, bagger because she has little baby fangs. She doesn't have sharp teeth, so she just drinks out of a blood bag. And my character is a redacted. So unnecessary. There's just no reason for you to do that. I mean, people say that about me all the time. (laughs) Listeners, you can't see Darby jumping up and down in her chair. (laughs) It's quite entertaining. So what do we need to do now that we've picked our clan? What's next? So now that you pick your clan, um, you have to, this is the way that I always flavor this, uh, you have to tell me who murdered you. Because as a kindred, you are a child of the undead. Your human life has ended. The next thing you need to do is tell me who sired you into this unliving world. And sometimes uh, storytellers will choose... Uh, Storytellers will hear the description of a character and then assign that person a sire. Uh, Some people come in with a clear idea of this is the person, this is the situation, this is how I ended up like this, and they can make their own sire from there. Um, But that is the next step, is making your sire. Okay, so Darby, do you have any thoughts about who our sire might be? I'd have thought that maybe maybe our character, because right, we're thinking like, I was very struck by presence as a power, because I don't think any of our, none of my coterie has used presence, or I think has presence. None of them have used it thinking of someone maybe who young and naive went to like some sort of like rally and there's just a very enigmatic speaker who was just drawing in the crowd and then perhaps they were one of the crowd but spoke to this person afterward and that was their sire that's sort of my loose loose brain Mm. nugget my little brain gem at the moment just uh bouncing around in there interesting so like they went to a rally and then what if it was like 
their mentor within the they got very involved in the activist world because this person was so enigmatic their presence was so you can almost like get drunk off of it that this person's like <laughs> i need to become more involved so i can spend more time around this person and as i got more and more involved their mentor is eventually like i see potential in you would you like to become more like me at some point the character their character says like you you're just such an amazing speaker you just pull in all these crowds i wish i had this ability like you and they're like oh sweet egg but you can't maybe they've always felt like the message that they try to spread isn't heard the way the message that their sire tries to spread is oh i love it i love that so much wonderful okay so their sire is i would say i mean given the nature of vampire the masquerade probably not a super public figure but like public enough like they are known in the activist community Mm -hmm. well especially that's that is something that that lends itself well to the masquerade is the current generation we live in of content creation they're meant to be enigmatic perhaps they do most of their most of their things that are played at rallies are videos so that they never appear in day or uh and your character went to they heard that they were going to be in person Finally, and of course your character had to go see them, but unfortunately it was at the night. Oh! Yeah? You know, I had thought, you know how like people, like, you know, like Banksy, you never see Banksy, but you know, Banksy does stuff. Maybe like they heard a rumor, like, you know, there's like the forums that are like, oh, you know, this person who never shows their face on camera is always just this bodiless voice for some reason on camera, right? And they just put up some graphic. They're like, oh, like I hear that maybe here and they're like piecing stuff together. They're like, I think that they're going to show up here and no one believes them from their forum. And they show up to this place and suddenly there's this person there and they're like, I know who you are. Like the biggest like fan, Mm -hmm. like fanboy, like, I know who you are. I watch your videos. Like- no one else knew you were gonna be here like but i knew i like pieced it together from this and their sire is just like interesting i love that though because maybe i've been i was i've been re-watching sensate lately and there is a particular uh moment in season two where the characters basically host a surprise rave where like it's at a club everyone knows there's going to be a rave they don't know who the dj is going to be and she's a somewhat famous dj but she's on the run from the law and so everyone receives a message like 15 minutes beforehand like hey riley blue is going to be djing and everyone's like oh crap i have to get to this rave i'm imagining something like that where like the underground communication system of like this activist community is like this person's actually going to be there it's in like half an hour and our character is like i got it i have to get there listeners this is what i love so much about vampire the masquerade just just the nature of the questions that the character creation system asks you it just kind of leads you down this path of making something that is so in line with what the world of darkness tries to establish so the last thing that you guys need to do because it sounds like you're pretty you're you're pretty set on where and how this happened is uh who did this? What is their name? I wonder if, because it is like an underground community, if our character even knows their real name. They probably go by an alias or a pseudonym. Ooh. Harper, are you saying that Banksy's a vampire? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked. I'm reminded of, uh, do you remember the show White Collar, The Vulture? Yes. Yeah. She's a hacker that like was infamous for like spreading information of corporate greed and stuff like that but only went by the alias the vulture and like had this like symbol and stuff like that and i'm thinking mm-hmm. 
Maybe not vulture though, because that maybe is like a little bit too on the nose of like, I feast on dead things. <laughs> I'm wondering, this is a little off, but like wondering what kind of activist is this person? I think that's a perfect question. Because I'm thinking also of like, because the Bruja described even briefly in how the powers are used, kind of expanding more on how Bruja used these powers. And it said like presence, Bruja sometimes will prefer to use presence to feed off of people. And, you know, thinking of predator types, like maybe that can tie into, I don't know. I'm just like, so I'm thinking that maybe because of the nature of Bruja and you said like their thing is they oppose systems of power that are no longer benefiting the people. Doesn't that read like a little Antifa to you? Because it reads Antifa to me. Oh, <laughs> Big upside down A. Like, absolutely. Please. I love it. I love it. So this is an Antifa leader, basically, in this city. Okay. I mean, maybe then, yeah, Darby, Vulture might work because it's just take the anarchy A, turn it upside down for a V. Isn't that also the Bruja symbol is literally just like- Oh, yeah, yeah it is. Oh, yeah. so it's like a cheeky little wink toward like, I'm in the open, but not really. Yeah, it, it's a way to get the kind to pledge allegiance to the Bruja without actually knowing they're pledging allegiance to vampires. So- mm. sounds, sounds very kindred to me. That sounds, <laughs> sounds very kindred to me. So I guess our sire we just know is Vulture. There you go. I have two thoughts on like a kind of predator type, which I think is funny. <laughs> well, let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. Next thing that y'all need to come up with is a name for your actual character. I'm really feeling a, non-bi- a non-binary character who uses we pronouns. Yeah. I don't know why I'm feeling that, but that's just the direction my brain's going. Ash. Joe. <laughs> okay i'm doing my thing where i'm like let's google something so i googled anarchy <laughs> and i'm seeing the first name that comes up is a pierre joseph proudhon adopted anarchy and anarchist in his 1840 treaties what is property and joe is the like joseph but they can also be josephina jolene i like joe yeah j-o yeah not j-o-e but j-o yeah like that works I like Joe. And then you said Ashti, and I'm thinking maybe Joe Ashton. That will work. Because one of the few things that vampires actually fear is fire. And so I like the idea of ashes being like, what's left after the fire? Mm. Just as a cheeky little wink. It's their actual last name, but. Right, absolutely. So next up, you guys have to fill in the concept box. Now, it sounds like from what you guys have been telling me that the concept is revolutionist public speaker, anything along those lines. That's that's the kind of thing that you throw in the concept box. It's like summarize your character in a couple words, basically. Like a young firebrand. I'm thinking like the Vietnam War like galvanized like a lot of, I just, that's what's popping to my head right now. Like galvanized a lot of people who are like, in college campuses suddenly like a lot of people became like super active in a similar way like now people are like becoming incredibly active seeing what's happening and it's very easy now for people to just sort of get information and understand what's happening but like also kind of cheeky to say firebrand for kinjin <laughs> i like it okay young firebrand is our concept yeah and then as far as the chronicle we can leave that blank for now, uh, and we can move on to the ambition section. Uh, and and this is something that I think Vampire also does fairly well. The storyteller system in general does fairly well, um, where they force you to not over explain things on your sheet. 
it it encourages you to play them publicly and like don't tell me what your character wants outside of a couple of words show me what those words mean to that character so in no more than four words what is the ambition of the young firebrand joe ashton you know what i really think about this character is that they really hate hypocrisy Mm. I don't know why I'm feeling that, but I feel like one of the things that might have driven us to becoming an activist and like seeking out our sire is hating the hypocrisy of like major media outlets and the government and local officials and being like, no one is telling the truth. Everyone's saying one thing and doing something different. Doublespeak. Yeah. And so I feel like this character might want to like play a part in revealing that. And that's why they're frustrated. No one's listening to them. Fight hypocrisy, reveal secrets. Hmm. Sounds like four pretty accurate words to me. It's also fantastic because uh, there is a very almost stereotypical to this point trend with most Bruja that they are not a big fan of the Camarilla. And the Camarilla is the largest organization of vampires who uphold the masquerade, which is an oath that all kindred must follow to not reveal the presence of themselves or other supernatural creatures to the humans, lest they panic. The the hypocrisy that lives within the Camarilla at large of like, we're very powerful, but don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, it is a very common thread. So fight hypocrisy, I think, would work well on many levels. Uh, it, it would serve this character in life and in unlife. Okay. Uh, next up, we have to fill out the box that reads desire. Uh, so your ambition is to fight hypocrisy and your desire I always read as to what end does that ambition lead you? Where do you want that ambition, that drive of fighting hypocrisy? Where do you want that to take you? That is what your character's desire is. I have two words pop into my brain, mostly because Minerva's ambition and desire are single words, <laughs> but like freedom or truth. Mm. Like when you fight hypocrisy, what do you, what are you fighting for? If you're fighting a system and fighting to reveal secrets, you're fighting to free yourself from a system that would keep you entrapped in that. I then like maybe it's freedom through honesty. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. That's three solid words. Yeah. Awesome. That's a great desire. Minerva's on the other hand, ambition, knowledge, desire, knowledge. <laughs> and you know, those, uh, when you told me that, I was like, those are valid answers though, especially for a young Tremere. Uh, so the next thing that we will be filling out uh, is usually something that the character themselves does not decide. It's usually more up to the storyteller. Um, but we're going to decide the generation of this kindred. And the way the generation works is that um, the tale of vampires is a biblical one. It goes back to the story of Cain and Abel. When the first murder was committed, Cain was cursed by the deity above to forever have his blood induce rage and hunger. Um, and that's what vampires are. Some some other sects of magical creatures refer to vampires as Cainites for that reason. And the as the generations of vampires get further and further away from Cain, as more and more human blood is mixed with this supernatural blood through the uh, process of siring vampires, which is known as the embrace, uh, the blood slowly gets less and less 
potent. And that is what the generation refers to. Um, so the oldest generation are called Enchile, uh, and they were embraced like way back in the 1700s to the early 1900s. Um, and then there are neonates, which were embraced from the mid 1900s to as early as a decade away from modern time. Uh, and then there are the childer who were embraced within the last 15 years of modern civilization. And based on what we've mentioned about the public speaking and the videos and things like that, I believe we're going to have Joe Ashton be a uh, 14th generation kindred because vampire is the human word, remember, folks. Uh, so they're a 14th generation kindred. And your storyteller, if you're preparing for a game, your storyteller will tell you whereabouts they want you placed. So with that said, the last thing in the core personality things that we have to fill out is something that Darby allotted to a little bit earlier. She mentioned predator types. Uh, so the concept of a predator type is the idea that your vampire, your kindred, your creature of the night has to feed on things. And the predator type is how they go about doing so. Uh, so when it comes to predator types, uh, there are a lot of different things that your vampire can be, even down to being a consensualist. There are many kindred across the land who hold on very tightly to their humanity and can only feed from people who will allow them to feed from those people. Uh, so looking through what we have as options, what are you guys thinking as far as predator types go? I have three just off the top of my head. Consensual seems like a pretty, bog standard seems like very weird to say, but like someone who you don't feed against free will, but using like presence to like attract someone in and just feed off of them and they let you feed off of them. But Osiris also seems interesting for someone who is trying to gain a following as an activist in a community, acquiring this group of people, almost fanatics or people following Osiris seems pretty interesting. I also thought Scene Queen was funny. <laughs> a partier and an activist. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that an important thing to remember, though, is, and we do have someone who does this on the show, the lovely dorky teacher, Bo, you can take these these ideas and you can curve them as you like to better fit your character. A scene Queen does, quote unquote, imply that the, um, you know, Scene Queen is an actual phrase is what I'm trying to say. But your scene can be rallies, it can be gatherings, it can be riots, that can be your scene. Uh, and the, the idea behind it from a lore perspective is that different environments cause the brain to pump different chemicals through the blood. So maybe there's something about the adrenaline and the rush of being at a rally or being at an activist meeting that just tastes fantastic <laughs> to, your, mm -hmm. to your kindred. We were talking earlier about their sire and our character being almost drunk off of what they were saying, right? In a similar way, that that same feeling is still intoxicating to our kindred and is what pulls them towards who they feed off of, which is this this scene. That that was the one I was like laughing at when I was thinking like, haha, scene queen would be funny though. 
Yeah, but now that we've talked about it more, I'm kind of liking the idea of Scene Queen more and more, especially when you're talking about like chemicals in the blood. Mm-hmm. Being at a political rally, especially a political rally that's like not authorized by the authorities and that could get shut down at any moment and where there's always that kind of fear does lead to that like rush and that like heightening of senses. Right, yeah. So I'm kind of liking Scene Queen actually, which I didn't think I was going to like, but I in fact, love it. And that that's another thing that, uh, not to just slightly reiterate myself, but I, I feel like the 5e rulebook in particular does such a great job of saying these are the things this is where they normally belong this is who they normally belong to and then throwing in like one or two sentences that's like or it could be this and it's like something totally different it, it really gives you i feel like it gives you a lot of freedom to uh make the choices that you think are appropriate for the character oh no absolutely all right so we've got the top of our character sheet done what do we need to do next wonderful now we need to scroll on down to the more uh, mechanical part of stuff that we are going to be filling out here and we are going to fill in the attributes. So as far as the attributes go, um, this is where concrete rules do begin going in. Attributes are laid out very plainly on the character creation summary page. There is one attribute that you will fill in four dots for on your character sheet. There are three attributes that you will fill out three dots for. There are four attributes that will get two dots and one attribute will get one dot. So essentially there's one thing that you're super good at, one thing that you're really bad at, and then, you know, a good handful, a good mix of really uh, middling things. And then there are different stats like your health um, and your willpower that are actually made up as a combination of two of your attributes because you're very, very rarely only going to roll one stat when it comes to Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition at the very least. More than likely, you're going to be making rolls that are like roll your composure plus your resolve and usually it's a mixture of stats rather than just one thing so looking at the list of attributes where do you guys think you want to assign your four dots what is this character best at you think i think that for a character who is so invested in honesty and is so invested in exposing the truth and is doing so through the means of political organizing. I'm leaning toward one of these social attributes. I lean towards manipulation a little bit. Interesting. Okay, say more. When I've done debate and stuff like that, it's less of like how much of a presence you have and more like how can you change the information just a little bit, manipulate kind of how people are doing, feeling, accessing the information you're telling them in order to kind of get them to sort of be on your side in less calculative measures than that. But like the difference between saying 1% and like 300,000, right? The information is still the same is how you manipulate that information and manipulate how people are hearing what you're saying that makes something pulls you towards either action or apathy bogging someone down with like nitty-gritty numbers is going to like kill someone's interest but if you can get someone angered and riled up about something that's a kind of it feels like a manipulation 
And on top of that, I think this actually leads into a very important point, uh, something that I think is very core to Vampire the Masquerade as a system is that morality plays a very big part in most of what happens in this game. And manipulation is a word that has very obvious negative connotations, but if you're trying to help someone forget about a problem that they're having to make them feel better in the moment because you don't want them to feel bad. That's manipulation, like by definition of the word. And mm -hmm. those kind of things are put here intentionally by the publishers over at White Wolf. I've always said, because I've been in a lot of mentorship roles over the course of my life, that manipulation can be a very strong tool for good. A mentor is always manipulating you down what hopefully, if they're a good mentor, is a path that is good for you, right? They're trying to steer you away from behaviors that will harm you toward behaviors that will help you. I was a teacher. I was a resident advisor. I was a tutor for a lot of years. Like I've been in a lot of positions where like you're trying to positively manipulate someone. And so I feel like I like manipulation being a strength here and it being a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. But also they're a kindred, so strong potential for bad thing. This depends on how high our kindred's humanity score could be, because I can see them using the manipulation to not harm the kind, and then I can see our kindred using manipulation to use them as fodder. Absolutely. I also think that then some of our three dot attributes, at least two of them should be charisma and composure, the other two social attributes. I feel like that's where this kindred excels. I think I agree. I was thinking the last three dots should be in wits. Interesting. Okay. Just gonna throw it out there. There are great public speakers who are good public speakers who are not that intelligent. <laughs> Correct. It is how someone thinks around situations that is what makes them very good at public speaking and not mm -hmm. just like a speaker. It is a thing that I dislike in many TTRPG systems that they say intelligence when what they mean is logical thinking or what they mean mm. is amount of knowledge you have. Book smarts, yeah. Yeah, there are so many different kinds of intelligence. So the fact that we boil down intelligence to mean you're a good at school, kid, is a, a little frustrating to me. Absolutely. It's a lot of frustrating to me. <laughs> but some of the people who I'd be like, they are a great public speaker... I would also say they are not intelligent and have not a not an ounce of knowledge in their body. So next up, you have four attributes that are going to get two dots. I think intelligence and resolve should both get two. And then the last two, it's less of a question of which ones get two as opposed to which one are we putting as a one? <laughs> I have played, I feel like, all three of these characters in a Dungeons & Dragons setting where either strength, dexterity, or constitution is the dump stat, and that's kind of what strength, dexterity, and stamina are in VTM. They're pretty, <laughs> they're pretty, you know. Yeah, those are fairly one-to-one. -one. Fairly. Not perfect. I mean, I always think it's very funny when dexterity is the dump stat. <laughs> and because they're a kindred, it's not like they're this exceedingly clumsy person. It's like they're an, more like an average human. Yes, uh, that is also important to note for the podcast listeners is that these attributes may seem super detrimental and like uh, having one dot in dexterity may seem like, oh, your kindred's so clumsy, but... As a kindred, inherently, because of what you are, you're, you're like an above average human if you only have one dot. 
in dexterity. So having four in manipulation is like you're like a cult leader to, you know, the second degree, basically. So it sounds like we have two dots in strength, two dots in stamina, and then one dot in dexterity. Um, so since I haven't mentioned this yet, what these dots are meant to represent is a dice pool because the storyteller system uses d10s fairly exclusively and you use however many points you have in your collective attributes and skills and that is how many dice are in your pool so if i asked the lovely joe ashton to make a manipulation plus charisma check since there is four dots in manipulation and three dots in charisma, they would have a dice pool of seven. So they would roll seven d10s and they would tell me what they got on them. In the storyteller system, if you roll a six or higher, that is a success. And generally the DM will have an idea, sort of like a DC in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, the DM will have an idea of how many successes you need to actually pull off what you're trying to do. Thinking about Minerva, she has blood sorcery as a part of one of her disciplines that she can do, but one of them requires a very high number of successes in order to succeed. And she has one dice over the amount that is needed to roll successes, so she can have one failure on her dice and still succeed. Which is the equivalent of having to beat a DC of like 20 or 25, right. where it's like, you can do it, it's just not going to be very likely. It's like you have a plus one to that skill and then you have to beat it. Yeah. You have to, your DC is 20. <laughs> you could. Like you could do it. Good luck though. <laughs> have fun. Uh, moving right on down the list, we're now under the skills category. Uh, this is doled out much like attributes. Your skill set has a different set of names for the distribution. So there is jack of all trades, there is balanced, and there is specialist. Uh, the jack of all trades allows you to pick the most skills that you will be average at and one skill that you'll be really good at uh, and the rest you're kind of middling at. Balanced skill will allow you to uh, spread out fairly evenly the things that you're good at, the things that you're middling at, uh, but you will end up with quite a few things that you're not great at. Whereas the specialist allows you to move past the limit that the other two have. Jack of all trades and balanced, the highest allotment that they allow is three dots, where the specialist allows you to have one skill that is at four. And it also gives you a free specialty. So when speaking on skills, uh, the term specialty will come up fairly often. And you'll notice if you're looking at your fifth edition character sheet, that there's an empty little box where you can type next to your skill name. Uh, and that is where you would put down a specialty. For example, if someone was really good at stealth, but they were specifically really good at breaking and entering into a place unnoticed, they would write next to stealth B&E specialty. And a specialty gives you an extra dot in that skill and therefore an extra die added to your pool. Very succinctly explained. Thank you, D. Darby, which of the spreads are you leaning towards? Because I'm kind of liking balanced or specialist for this character. When I imagine our character, I imagine them not Minerva, to sort of peek behind Minerva's little sheet, uh, Minerva was a specialist. She specializes in academics because she herself was like a college grad student-ish type. So like research is like her field of study. I'm 
wondering this kind of story what like is our little bab our little kindred are they someone who is like super skilled at something or are they someone who is learning to be skilled at these things in a way like beyond what they can do as like a kind i kind of like the idea that they as a human as a kind were very skilled in something and that's the potential that the sire saw and the reason that the sire was like you should become a kindred so you can be very very good at this so similarly to um the word kindred which is used by vampires vampires do not actually refer to humans as human uh they call them kine with an e ladies oops you're totally fine uh, they refer to them as kine, which is like, if I remember correctly, it's meant to be like an old world word for cattle. Like it's it's a very intentionally insulting word. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he literally just showed pictures of cows. That's what I thought. Ooh. All right. So we are going with specialists then i think they're they're the vulture saw something in them when they appeared at this rally and was just like you i have three skills that sort of ping to me as the vulture being like ah i could polish this egg into a why did i say egg why did i say egg <laughs> it'll become go from being a chicken egg to a faberge egg yeah 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 and then <laughs> i'll feed it to my pet rock <laughs> That is a joke just for the people who are in our home D&D session. Darby's pet rock ate a Fabergé egg. <laughs> Amazing. I think leadership, persuasion, also streetwise. Those are the three that kind of ping to me as like, I can turn this egg into like a golden goose. <laughs> leadership and persuasion being kind of obvious. But what I think of someone who's like, who's going to like rallies and stuff or like participating in this sort of thing, being able to understand where you are in the city, the vibe of the where you are in the city and that sort of thing. Right. I think then the question is, what role does this character play within the political organizing realm? Because there are like many different roles you can pull from, right? There's the, I am the public speaker. I am the key speaker at this event and I am addressing whole crowds. There's the one-on-one -on -one or like one in a small group doing like small group outreach work. And then there's like the organizer, the one whose job it is to put all of this together. I'm wondering if their sire is the figurehead. And so the child, is running like the background stuff almost like they're not mm -hmm. the face as of yet kind of like a stage manager tech director kind of thing but like getting these connections like where are we doing this rally getting the word out of the rally and at least in streetwise for minerva she's familiar with like the black market but knowing if you're going to a rally where you might be you know fighting the power who better to enemy of an enemy is a friend right I'm thinking of the people who like earlier in 2020 were posting lists of like, hey, if you are going to a political rally, here are the things that you should bring. Here are the things you should not bring. Here's what you should prepare in advance. Like our character is so on all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking of like the people who are like the not so legal sort of type where they were, hey, here's all the police emails and their passwords. Here's the police frequencies, like that sort of information and having that the not so legal, but then because they're like, the system is all corrupt screw the system that it's not illegal to them but like having connections to criminal organizations because even though it's not strictly legal they get the job done oh gosh i am gonna misquote it so badly i'm literally gonna google it 
misquoting it still is that the laws are norms that are enforced by the ruling class and that the police are basically an occupying army. Yep. And I'm like, I feel like this character feels that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like a good and true bruja. <laughs> okay, so then I'm, I think we have to put our four specialist dots in Streetwise. Sounds good. I'm so jazzed. <laughs> I think then that we should go and pick our three dot skills, the skills that we're still quite good at, but not quite our specialty. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still think persuasion needs to be up there. Yes, I think persuasion definitely needs to be up there. I think also insight. Because they're really good at reading people. I like it. What is awareness? So the easiest way to translate awareness to a D&D 5e player is that it's perception. It's not as much of a golden stat as perception is in 5e, at least not in my games, but that is the intent behind it. The idea that you're aware of your surroundings and you're kind of good at reading the room, as it were. Correct. I think that this person would definitely, if you are the organizer of, a, of an underground political rally. You have some political acumen. I mean, yeah, probably politics. But you also need to be very aware of your surroundings. And you need to sense, like, if the tide is turning and now is the time to get the hell out of Dodge. Or, like, if you're using your presence, who are you pulling in and such and such. So I agree that we should also put two dots in politics. I'm also at the thought of two dots perhaps in technology. If you're doing all this stuff that is very much screw the system, I'm imagining that there is someone who does not want to be, have their cookies tracked in the very lightest of technological senses, right? <laughs> very like VPNs and like bouncing like their information all over the place. Also some light hacking ability. Yeah. So we need one more skill that we're still pretty decent at. And I actually like the idea that it's drive. I want this character to be driving the getaway vehicle. I was literally about to say drive. I'm like, <laughs> the one thing that like, I'd like frequently see at political rallies and all these protests is people being like, get in the car, we're leaving. Like, I think it was for Russia. I saw like a protester was like booking across the lawn. They're being chased by the police. And then someone in a random car just like, screeched up and we're like get in get in and then drove Amazing. like peeled away and, and then the police turned on the camera person who was like holding who's filming on their phone but i think drive is very funny i mean i just love everything about this character that they're like outspoken activists but also they're like but also i know when to run i'm not stupid they have the awareness to know that they need to get in their car and drive and also, they're probably, at times, like, their sire's chauffeur. Like, I am the one who is going to get you out of here. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, what is your character not great at? So, are, like, yeah, I kind of know how to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. Thinking leadership, they're a wee bab. They're learning. But they're learning under the tutelage of someone who's got, like, quite the pull and the attraction. I mean, I've been envisioning it, and I think that their sire is absolutely an Osiris feeder, where they are a cult leader. <laughs> Eat off of anyone who comes to this rally. And, and and their child is literally, like, the scene kid who's like, I'm in the cult! I'm feeding off of the other people here! Two sides of a similar coin. I was wondering if investigation? I think investigation. And then I'm also thinking that because we are kind of building a character who knows when to run 
and knows like when it's smart to get away, I'm thinking maybe stealth. That's definitely not a terrible idea. That also kind of ties in with someone who's maybe strongly affiliated with someone who likes their privacy. Someone who doesn't want to be seen. The people around them will know how to fade into the shadows, at least a little bit. Maybe not as good as this person, but they could shake a tail if they needed. We also get a free specialty. Two, technically, because everybody gets a free specialty as part of character creation, uh, but specialists get that as well as a specialty in very specifically academics, craft, performance, or science. In that case, I think that I'm leaning toward performance for the specialty that we get from being a specialist. I think we have to have a dot in the thing, no? Having a specialty in that thing would give you a dot where you wouldn't have one, actually. Uh, And if your specialty were to be public speaking, I think that might be uh, an on-brand specialty as far as performance goes for this character. I agree. And then you have one specialty that you can assign to any skill that you would like. Maybe tripling down on streetwise. Because if you're like, oh, give me a streetwise role, and like, can I make it a part of like this specialty? It gives you an extra die. Correct. So the way that the specialties worked, uh, they are not explicit things that are written out in the book. Um, they are uh, sort of a general thing that you will say your character has specialty in. And if that comes up, then your GM will decide whether or not your, uh, your storyteller will decide whether or not your specialty is accurate accurately being applied. For example, if Joe was trying to gather the attention of everyone and deliver a speech that they had written to a group of wide people, that would be a performance public speaking check. So they would add their specialty die to their uh, pool of whatever else I asked them to roll. So in that vein, I had the idea because we were talking about someone who is in tune with the police frequencies and can go and find all the information. I think that maybe a specialty in technology with hacking... Mm. Yeah, actually, that that tracks being able to like get into secure information. I also feel like if their sire is a little bit on the older side in terms of when they were turned and they haven't really kept up with all of the modern technology, especially in the last 20 years, they're like, you, you know a lot about the social media. Mm. Suddenly their video quality has jumped up and it, it, by a lot. And now they're like way more present on like social media without having to like worry about stuff like that. And it's like, wow. Hmm, you are very good about finding out things about law enforcement officers and public officials. Amazing. The first time they meet their side, they're like, I like saw that this email was getting deleted. So I managed to print a copy from this person's office and I had to like rummage through the trash for like six hours. But I got this email. And I think it means something. No one else believes me. And like the side is just like, it's actually might be interesting. Like, what's your name, Little Bean? Little like. So our skills that we have picked are streetwise, persuasion, insight, awareness, drive, politics, stealth, leadership, investigation, and technology with specialties in public speaking and hacking. Uh, That sounds like your skills are all set to go. So to move right along down the line, the next thing that we're going to do is actually a part of those disciplines that I mentioned. So your three disciplines that are associated with being a Bruja, just so everyone remembers, are celerity, potence, 
and presence. And those three are disciplines that are intrinsic to who the Bruja are. But you are not just any Bruja, you are Joe Ashton. So you're going to be looking at those clan disciplines, and two of them you will put two dots in, and one of them you will put one dot in. And much like the skills and the attributes, the dots do represent dice that you will add to your pool, but they also represent the level of proficiency your specific kindred has within that power subset. And by going up in levels, you gain different abilities that the power grants you. For example, um, there is the celerity power Cat's Grace, which allows you to gain balance and grace equal to and surpassing even world-class kind trapeze artists. It depends on what you guys want to be best at out of the three disciplines that you've been presented. I think that we've made someone who knows how to run. So I think celerity should get two dots because it also allows you if you take two dots to get fleetness, which lets you move supernaturally fast. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. And I'm thinking the other two should be in presence because like we made someone who knows how to run, but we also made someone who I feel like what drew them to their sire and what drew their sire to them was their innate ability to kind of pull this attention. Right. Absolutely. And I think that might be the other big two with one impotence. Yeah. And then an an interesting thing about the disciplines is that as a rule of thumb, a general human has, especially one who is unprepared, a general human has no defense against the powers of a child of the night. Um, So when it comes to things like presence, uh, one of the level one presence powers is called awe, which is fairly self-explanatory. And it involves a check that is manipulation plus your presence versus the target's component plus intelligence. But that check is only applicable to supernatural creatures or prepared humans. If you just walk up to some some random person on the street, sort of tap them on the shoulder and be like, hey, where can I find X? And you use awe to make sure that they give you an honest answer. They have no defense against that. They are simply blood bags and nothing more. So I like that we're going to put two dots into celerity and into presence and one into potence. So I think that for the celerity discipline, we're definitely going to want to take fleetness as our second dot, our second level ability. Rapid reflexes is my first kind of initial thought. Dodging gunfire. And like, you know, someone's just waving their sign around willy nilly. You got to be able to just sort of. Mm -hmm. As you are adding additional dots to your disciplines, you can actually take any power that is underneath the current level that you are at. Um, But you also have to have as like to get a level three ability, you have to have three dots in that discipline as a minimum. But if when you get your third dot in your discipline, you would just rather take another level two ability, you are allowed to do that. So it determines not only the number of abilities you have, but the maximum level it can be. Correct. Cool beans. And then for potence, we only have one dot, but we have an opportunity to get a second dot from our scene queen feeding style, right? Indeed. Look at you filthy power gamers optimizing (laughs) it. Well, we could get a dot in dominance if we wanted. Your your character doesn't strike me as a very, um, I'm going to make you do what I want you to do kind of person. No. It's deeply funny to me that as a Tremere, Minerva has technically a dot in Dominate and used Cloud Memory, but Mm -hmm. only because she was about to die. (laughs) Yep. Spoilers. 
for Pale Cold Sun. You should go watch it. Yeah, you should. <laughs> for potence, I actually don't love prowess uh, because it has to do with strength and melee damage, which doesn't really feel like this character's thing. Mm-hmm. But the two level one abilities, Soaring Leap and Lethal Body, where you are capable at need of just breaking someone's armor leg or mm-hmm. jumping ridiculously ridiculous distances or ripping the door off of a cop car <laughs> breaking handcuff with one hand things that would be good for a person who regularly attends political protests that go south to have you see this gun no you don't <laughs> so i think we're going with lethal body and soaring leap i also like the cost which is free uh-huh. i like free costs i am a freegan i like to eat things that are free <laughs> I found this kind in the trash. <laughs> Amazing. You know the expiration date? <laughs> It'll be on the expiration date. Lord but, almighty. Uh, so good to- <laughs> okay, so. And then with two dots in presence. Yeah. Once again, I'm kind of feeling the two first level abilities more so than the second level ability. It's valid. Yeah, awe and daunt seem like very in-character abilities to be able to pull people in or go, leap. <laughs> Get away from me. Mm-hmm. I'm failing the vibe check on purpose. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So we've finished our disciplines then, I think. Sounds like it. So with the disciplines done, the last big thing that we need to tackle are advantages, merits, and laws so the concept behind advantages and merits are it's sort of like if feats and backgrounds had a baby kind (laughs) of it's advantages is the overall category and they're divided into three subcategories of merits backgrounds and lore sheets um your backgrounds usually allow you to do things like what does your haven look like do you have a following of people who like you uh whereas your merits are changes to your physical form and on the flip side of those things there are flaws which are negative downsides to your character that you have to take one of my personal favorite things about the flaw systems is that uh true faith a deep belief in things is one of the most powerful types of magic available in the world of darkness. If you believe so deeply in your heart of hearts that a stake to the heart kills a vampire, there's a flaw you can take that makes it so a stake to the heart will kill your vampire. Even though those types of things, holy water, garlic, a lot of those things don't actually bring harm to kindreds in real life. They're actually lies that kindred have injected into human media so that if they ever try to mount defenses against them, it won't help. So when it comes to the advantage uh, and merit system, uh, you have seven points that you can spend on your advantages. That includes merits, background, and lore sheets. You have seven points that you can spend across those three categories. And you have to take two points of flaws in addition to any flaws that are gained from your predator type. Which, as a scene queen, we get either the influence flaw, we are disliked outside of our subculture, or the feeding flaw, which is prey exclusion. We cannot feed of a different subculture than ours. For this character, I like the idea that outside of like the radical activist community, 
people don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It is Vampire the Masquerade. So of course our character is not likable, but I feel like we've made a particularly unlikable character. Hey now, I think Minerva is plenty likable. Excuse (laughs) me, my little bean. So that is one of our flaws then that we are taking is unlikable. Not unlikable. What's the word for it? Dislike. Does that count as one of our points of flaw or do we need to take two more points? No, it is in addition to any flaws you get from your predator type. So you still got two points of flaw that you got to spend. I love it. I love a flawed character. Okay. I kind of like that this character who is so like technology heavy and so rooted in the modern era does actually believe in at least one of those folkloric blocks. Mm -hmm. I'm imagining that this character like watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and actually believes vampires can't enter people's homes without an invitation. (laughs) Amazing. And so we need one more flaw. Maybe the stalker's flaw. People tend to become irrationally interested in you. Someone who's like learning to exert influence and like pull people in. Maybe sometimes puts on the show a little too strong. That's really good. I love that. Especially like maybe the first few people, they were like, I'm going to try out these powers. And they're sorry. It's like, yeah, yeah, have fun. Um, they came back and they're sorry. It's like, okay, who the hell is that? Like, there's like someone following you, you dummy. I mean, I quite enjoy that. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that this character was so irresponsible with their powers in the beginning. But also they're like, I can't just like kill them. And they're sorry. It's like, can't you though? You could, though. They're just a kind. <laughs> they're like, no, they're like, I just whammied them too hard. And they're sorry. It's like, okay, listen, that's your problem. <laughs> like, as long as you doesn't interfere with my work, I don't care. As soon as this kind interferes with my work, I will kill them. I like the idea that before becoming a kindred, Joe thought that the vulture was a much better person than they actually are. Because you never want to actually get to know your celebrity crush, right? Yeah, you don't want to meet your heroes. Never meet your heroes. So then we need seven points worth of, I forgot what they're called. Uh, Advantages, merits. We get two advantages. We gain the fame advantage and contact advantage from our predator type. So then we have seven dots to spend. This feels like someone also who would like have a home that they've like, you know, like the kind of people who are like disaster preppers doom preppers oh Mm. a doomsday so their haven was their doomsday shelter like they were preparing for like societal upheaval and someone who's like technologically pretty savvy right someone who not in the like tinfoil hat kind of way but you know there's ways that people sort of keep certain things out what are the things like you those wallets that have like the reflectors so people can't swipe your card information or like your phone information yeah your rfid yeah stuff like that all over their house like they live in like a old warehouse that they bought and like refurbished this thing into like their little like their little haven so they're probably rich then as like the category they fall under maybe they don't actively like have that much money but they have enough resources that they're resource rich i think they stacked out their haven (laughs) okay so they're rich i also kind of had an idea that perhaps because of the scene that they're in they do have vessels they have a herd Mm. A small one compared to their sire, but they're starting to build one. And they accidentally turned one of them into a stalker. (laughs) 
Yes. One advantage of like three people, like first three followers on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, I like it because that's the tier, like, which is graduate students, people who are like student activists who have like formed a tiny cult following around this one person, Joe, who works for Vulture. Maybe they knew Joe before, but now that joe has this power it's gone from equal footing to this it also tracks because the vulture's whole thing is that you never see him or you never see them like they're never physically there joe is a contact point joe is the prophet if the vulture's the god this is the person we can actually physically speak to that represents this person so that's another dot in resources then, because herd is technically a resource. In Vampire the Masquerade, uh, your resources does not explicitly refer to how much money or cash you keep on yourself, because kindred have very little need for such things like that. The cold weather doesn't bother them. They don't need to eat food that they have to buy. So money itself is actually treated with very little care. Kindred will pass around large, large sums of money like it's nothing because to them it kind of is. We have three more points of advantage or merit here. Haven? Well, would their haven be the warehouse? Because that, that I would say if you want it to be a warehouse, three dots, very large, secure, and or private. Mm-hmm. That's like the definition of a refurbished warehouse. So we have a large haven in this converted warehouse. Sounds good. Which also probably is one of the resources that Vulture was like, mm, I want you to be a kindred. Yeah, more than likely. <laughs> like, Do you want to come back to my place? I have like tea. And they're like, interesting. So uh, let's get the advantages summary. It looks like we have one dot in fame, one dot in contacts. Four dots in resources, which makes sense as a very well-connected kindred. The flaw disliked with one dot. The flaw, the mythic folklore block with one dot. Specifically that they cannot enter somewhere without being invited first. Uh, And they also have one dot in the retainer's flaw that gives them a stalker. As well as having three dots in the haven for a refurbished warehouse out in the city. D, is there anything else that we need to do? We are reaching the end here. Um, and for a normal character, we would have a conversation about touchstones. And touchstones and convictions are morals that are center to this character and people who represent those morals. Uh, and also, we set our humanity to a baseline of seven. And another thing that we can go back and do, since this is just checking boxes, I wanted to save it for last. Our health is calculated by taking our stamina and adding three. And your willpower is your composure plus your resolve. And that's how you check off the appropriate boxes for your physical stats. Usually, we'd be going over some convictions, some touchstones, and the chronicle tenets. But I'm not going to have Darby and Harper go over the convictions and touchstones because the chronicle, which I alluded to earlier in this, is under the pale cold sun. And thank the both of you for making me a brand new NPC to have run around the world. We're so excited that this character, well, at least I am, because my character may never appear again on Pale Cold Sun, so I get to watch this character wreak all kinds of havoc. Podcast listeners, just so you know, they have no idea that I was going to do... Well, I I assume that they got some idea as we went along, but uh, I knew from the start, I was like, no, yeah, they're going to make an NPC that's going to run around in the city. (laughs) 
So, so we uh, could have made two NPCs for you to have. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you kind of did. The Vulture and Joe. There you go. And so not only is this character sheet going to be uploaded to our website where any of you lovely people could use it in your Vampire the Masquerade games, but also D will have access to it. Yes, I will. And if you want to see me wreak absolute havoc with it, come over to twitch.tv slash critical misses. Every Wednesday, we're at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are going to be playing the Vampire the Masquerade Chronicle Under the Pale Cold Sun. And Dee, that feels like a perfect place for you to plug everywhere else that people can find you as well. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Dee which you already know, but that's how I always do my outros. I am a streamer, musician, voice actor, and professional GM for the Emerald City Gaming Guild, as I mentioned toward the start. You can catch me over on Critical Misses on Tuesdays, where I play Tucker Green in Second City Saviors, a masks game set in Chicago and run by the lovely The Noir Enigma, who managed to come on the podcast before I did that absolute fucking and you can also catch me, like I said, on Wednesdays under the pale cold sun. You can catch me on Thursdays on Critical Misses for a cipher system game that is a Power Rangers theme. It's based on Sentai's. It's called Upon These Crystals, Guardians Awaken. Fridays, I sleep, hopefully. A any days that I'm not doing a show, you can probably catch me over on twitch.tv slash itsderidla, I-T-S-D-A-R-I-D-D-L-A. You can come hang out and we can talk TTRPG stuff. And you can also find me over on Thursdays on the Noir Enigmas channel where I play Ade Zuko in The Lonely Throne. So yeah, those are all the places you can find me. Feel free to bother me on Twitter. Legitimately, if any podcast listeners have questions about VTM character creations, just yell at me and, you know, I'll throw some killer applications your way. <laughs> I think more, more people should play Vampire the Masquerade. It's such a good system. That's all for this week. Be sure to join us next week for another Chaotic Creation. Chaotic Creations is created, produced, and hosted by Harper Hayes and Darby Pack. Editing is by Harper Hayes, and web design is by Darby Pack. Art is by Kiku Hughes, who you can find on Twitter at Kiku Hughes, and the music is by Kevin McLeod. Transcriptions are by AJ Ray. Find him on Twitter at Pusha underscore Kid. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon.com slash ChaoticPod for awesome perks, including bonus content and exclusive access. We are proud partners of Critical Mission an inclusive online TTRPG community streaming on Twitch. Catch our podcast and other fun shows every single day at twitch.tv slash critical misses. If you want to chat with us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at chaoticpod. You can also join our Discord server by going to our website, chaoticpod.com, or via our link tree in our Twitter bio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. It helps new listeners to find us. And tell your favorite nerdy friend about us. It's the best way to help us grow. Thanks for listening.